The Black Lair by Charles Dickens One winter's evening, towards the close of the year 1800, or within a year or two of that time, a young medical practitioner, recently established in business, was seated by a cheerful fire in his little parlour, listening to the wind, which was beating in the rain, in pattering drops against the window, or rumbling dismayedly in the chimney. The night was wet and cold. He had been walking through mud and water the whole day, and now comfortably was posing, posing in his dressing gown and slippers, more than half asleep and less than half awake, revolving a dozen matters in his wandering imagination. First he thought how hard the wind was blowing, how the cold, sharp rain would be at that moment beating on it in his face if he were not comfortably housed at home then his mind reverted to his annual christmas visit to his native place of dearest friends he thought how glad he would be all they all would be to see him how happy it would make them rose it would make rose if he could tell her that he found he had found a patient at last, and hoped to have more, and to come back again, down again, in a few months' time, and marry her, and take her home to gladden his lonely fireside, and assimilate him to fresh exertions. Then he began to wonder when his first patient would appear, or whether he was destined, by special dispensation or providence, never to have any patience at all. Then he thought about Rose again, and dropped to sleep and dreamed about her till the tones of her sweet, merry voice sounded in his ears, a soft, tiny hand rested on his shoulder. There was a hand upon his shoulder, but it was neither soft nor tiny, his owner being a corpulent, round-headed boy, who, in considered of the sum of one shilling per week, and his food was let out by the parish to carry medicine and messages, as there was no demand for the medicine, however, and no necessary for the messages, usually occupied his unemployed hours, averaging fourteen a day, in outstretching peppermint drops, taking them all nourishment, and going to sleep. A lady, sir, a lady, whispered the boy, rousing his master with a shake. What lady, cried our friend, startling up, not quite certain what he, that his dreams were illusion, half-specting it might be Rose herself. What lady, where? There is her, replied the boy, pointing to the glass door, leading to the surgery with an expression of alarm, which the very unusual apparition of a customer might attended to its sight. The surgeon looked towards the door and startled himself for an instant by holding the appearance of his unlooked-for visitor. It was a singular tall woman, dressed in a deep mourning and standing so close to the door that her face almost touched the glass. The upper part of her figure was carefully muffled in a black shawl, as if, if for the purpose of concealment, and her face was shrouded by a thick, Black veil, she stood perfectly erect, her figure was drawn up at its full height, though the surgeon felt 
The eyes beneath the veil were fixed on him. He stood perfectly motionless, enticed by a gesture, no gesture whatsoever, the slightest consciousness of his having turned towards her. Do you wish to consult me? he inquired with some hesitation, holding open the door. It opened inwards, and therefore the action did not alter the position of the figure, which still remained motionless on the same spot. She slightly inclined her head in token of questionance. Pray, walk in, said the surgeon. The figure moved and stepped forward, and then, turning his head in direction of the boy, to his infinite horror, appeared to hesitate. Leave the room, boy, Rome Tom, said the young man, addressing the boy, whose large round eyes had been extended in the uttermost width following his brief interview. Draw the curtain and shut the door. A boy drew a green curtain across the glass bar of the door, retired in the surgery, closed the door after him, and immediately applied one of his large eyes to the keyhole on the other side. The surgeon drew a chair to the fire and motioned the visitor to sit. The mysterious figure slowly moved towards it. As the blaze shone upon the black dress, the surgeon observed the bottom of it was saturated in mud and rain. You are very wet, he said. I am, said the stranger, in a low, deep voice. And you are ill, I did the surgeon, compassionately, for the tone was that of a person in pain. I am, said the reply, very ill. Not boldly, but mentally. It is not for myself, or on my own behalf, continued the stranger, that I come upon you, if I labour upon bodily disease. I should be not out alone at such hour, or such a night as this, I, if I were afflicted with it twenty-four hours hence. God knows how gladly I would lie down and pray to die. It is for another that I beseech you admit, sir. I may be mad to ask you for it. I think I am, but night after night, for the long dreary hours of watching and weeping, and the thoughts have been ever present to my mind, though even I see the hopelessness of human assistance availing him, a bare thought of leaving him in his grave about it makes my blood run cold. A shudder came, a surgeon well knew art could not produce, could not produce trem, trembled through the speaker's frame. There was a desperate earnestness his woman's manner, that it went to the young man's heart. He was young in his profession, and did not yet witness enough of the miseries which daily presented for the eyes of his members to have grown comparatively callous to human suffering. If, he said, raising hastily, a person to whom you speak, he is so help- hopeless a condition, you as you describe, not a moment to be lost. I will go with you instantly. Why did you not attain medical advice before? Because it would have been useless before. Because it's useless even now, replied the woman, clasping her hand passionately. The surgeon gazed for a moment on the black veil, as if it asserted the expression that the features beneath it. His thickness, however, rendered such a impo- result impossible. You're ill, he said gently, although you... Do you do not numb it? A fever which has enabled you to bear. 
Without feeling it, the fatigue that you've eventually undergone is burning within you now. But put your li- that to your lips, he continued, pouring out a glass of water. Compose yourself for a few minutes, and then tell me calmly, as you can, what the disease the patient is, how long he's been ill, and when I know what is necessary, I should know, so I render my service serviceable to him. I am ready to occupy you. The stranger lifted a glass of water in her mouth, and raised the veil, put it down again, untasted, and burst into tears. I know, she said, sobbing aloud, that I say to you now seems like a raving of fever. I've been told so before, less cunning than by you. I am not a young woman. They do say, as life steals on forward, its final close, the last short moment, worth of visit may seem to all beside, is dearer to the possessor than all the years have gone before, connected through, though they be with a recollection of old friends long since dead, and young ones, children, perhaps, who have fallen off from a forgotten one, completely as they had died too. My natural term of life cannot be many years younger, and should be, be dear to the, on that account. What I, I lay down without a sigh, with cheerfulness, with joy, if that I tell you now, for only false or madly, tomorrow morning he of whom I speak will be. I know, though, I will fain think otherwise beyond the reach of human aid and yet tonight although he is in deadly peril you must not see and could not serve him i am willing to increase your distress said the surgeon after a short pause by making any comment on what you just said appearing delirious to the investigation a subject you are too anxious to conceal there is an inconsistency to your statement. I cannot recall with probability. This person is dying tonight. I cannot see him when my assistance might possibly avail. You apprehend it will be useless tomorrow, and yet you have been would have seen me with me see me see him then. If it be if it be Indeed, oh dear you, as your words and manners would imply, why not to save his life before delay, a progress of his disease, render it impracticable? God help me, exclaimed the woman, weeping bitterly. How could I help strangers? Hope strangers will believe that it appears incredible, even to myself. You will not see him then, sir, she said, raising suddenly. I did not say that I declined to see him, replied the surgeon. I warn you, when it, if you persist in this extraordinary procrastination, an individual dies, and a fearful responsibility rests to you. Responsibility will less heavily somewhere, replied the stranger bitterly. Wherever responsibility rests to me, I'm content to bear and ready to answer. As I concur, none, continued the surgeon. But exceedingly to your request, I will see him in the morning, if you leave me the address. At what hour can he be seen? Nine, replies the surgeon, stranger. 
and you must excuse my pressing these inquiries, said Sergeant. But is he in now? Is he in your charge now? He is not, was rejoined there. Then, if he give you the instructions for his treatment through the night, you could not assist him? Well, bit readily is his blind. I could not. Finding that there was little prospect of attaining more information by prolonging the interview, the anxious to spare the women's feelings, which are due to first a violent effort, were now irresponsible and now most painful to the witness. A surgeon repeated his promise of calling in the morning, the appointed hour. His visitor, giving him, after giving him the direction, the secure part of Wellmouth, left the house in the same mysterious manner in which he had entered it. We would be readily believed that its strongly visit produced a considerable impersonation of the mind of the young surgeon. He speculated a great deal and very little propose of the possible circumstances of the case in common which generality people. He's often heard and read of singular instances in which present presentment of death in a particular day or even minute been entered and realised. At one moment he was inclined to think that the present might be such a case, but then it occurred to him that all the antidotes of the kind he ever heard were persons who had been troubled with foreboding of their own death. This woman, however, spoke of another person, a man, and, a po- and it was possible to suppose that a mere dream or delusion or fancy reduced her to speak of his approaching dissolution with such terrible certainty as she had spoken. It would be that man was to be murdered in the morning, and that a woman, originally consenting party, bound to secrecy by an earth, a relented and though unable to pre- prevent the commission of some outrage of the victim, had determined to prevent his death, if possible, by timely information position of a medical aid. The idea of such type things happening within two minute miles of Metropolis appeared too wild and preposterous to be entertained beyond the instant. Then his original depression, like the women, intellects were disordered, recurred, as as it was only mailed of solving difficulty with any degree of satisfaction. He (coughs) eventually made up his mind to believe that she was mad. Certain misgivings upon this point have soon stole upon his faults at that time, presented themselves again and again, again, the long, dull course of a sleepless night, during which, in spite of all his efforts, go the contrary, to banish the black veil from his disturbed imagination. part of Wilmoth is a greater distance from town. It's a struggling, miserable place enough, even in these days, but five and um, thirty years ago, the greater portion of it was little better than a dreary waste inhabited by a few scattered people of questionable character. If poverty prevented their living in any better neighbourhood or any of uh, those pursuits of the mode of life 
rendered its solitude des- des- desirable. Many, many of the houses which have since sprung up all sides were not built till some years afterwards, and a great majority even those have been sprinkled about at regular intervals where the rudest and most miserable description. The appearance of the place, though which he walked in the morning, was not calculated to raise the, spirit, raise the spirits of the young surgeon, the spare when he feeling of anxiety or depression, which a singular kind of visit he was about to make had awakened. Striking off the high road, his way lay across the marshy common through irregular lanes, and there were a ruinous and dismantled cottage, fast falling to pieces with decay and neglect. A stunted tree of poor stagnant water, though roused in a sluggish action by the heavy rain of the preceding night, skirted the path occasionally, and now and then a miserable path of garden grown. A few old boards knocked together for summer household, old palings imperfectly mended, estates pilfered from the neighbouring hedges, bore testament at once to poverty of the inhabitants, a little scalpel they entertained in approaching the property of another person of their own use. Occasionally a filthy-looking woman would make her appearance from the door to a dirty door, or door, from the door of a dirty house. To the contents of some cooking utensil, the gutter in front of all scream after a little slip shod girl who could contrive to swagger a few yards from the door under the weight of a shallow infant, almost as big as herself, but scarcely anything was stirring around so much as the prospect as could be faintly traced through the cold, damp mist which hung heavily over it, presented a lonely and dreary appearance, perfectly in keeping the objects we have described. After plodding wearily through the mud of mere, making on many inquiries for the place of which he had been directed, receiving as many contrary and unsatisfactory replies in return, the young man at length arrived before the house had been pointed out to him as the object of his destination. It is a small, low building, one story above the round, which even a mere more dissolute and unpromising exterior than any he had yet passed. An old yellow curtain of drawn closely drawn across the win- window upstairs and parlour shutters were closed but not fastened. Houses attached for any other, as if it shot up at Ingham, a, a narrow lane where there was no other habitation in sight. When she, we say that the surgeon hesitated and walked a few paces beyond the house before he could prevail upon himself to lift a knocker, we, we saw nothing of need uh, a smile upon the face of the boldest greeter. The police of London were a very different body in that day. The isolated position of the suburbs with the rage of the buildings, the progress in improvement, and not yet begun so connected with their main body of the city in the Varons have rendered many of them, and this in particular, a place of resort for the worst and most depraved characters. Even the streets in the greyest parts of London were imperfectly lighted at that time, and such places as these were left entirely to the mercy of the moon and stars. The chances of detecting desperate characters or tracing them to their haunts were thus rendered a very few, and their offences naturally increased in the boldness as could 
the consciousness of its of a comparative obscurity became very impressed upon and by daily experience. Added to those considerations, must be remembered the young man has spent some time in public hospitals of Metropolis, and though neither Burke nor Bishop had then gained a horrible narrative, his own observations might have suggested to him how easily the atrocities of which the former was given his name might be committed. Be this as it may, some whatever reflection made him hesitate, he did hesitate, but being a young man, young mind, a great personal courage, it was only for an instant he stepped briefly back and knocked gently at the door. A lower voice whispering was audible immediately afterwards, as if some person at the end of the passage was conversing stiffly. Another on the landing above is succeeded by the noise of a pair of heavy boots upon the bare floor. A door changed was softly unfastened. The door opened, and a tall, ill-favoured man, black hair and a face as a surgeon, often declared afterwards as pale as haggard as the countenance of any dead man he ever saw, presented himself. Walk in, sir, he said in a low voice. The surgeon did so. The man, having secured the door again by the chain, led the way to a small back parlour at the extremity of the passage. Oh, I am. Oh, am I on in time? Too soon, replied the man. The surgeon turned around, hastily turned, turned hastily round, with a gesture of astonishment, not mixed with alarm when he found it impossible to arrest. If you step in there, sir, said the man, who had evidently claimed the action, if you step in there, sir, you won't detain you five minutes. I assure you, the surgeon at once walked in the room. The man closed the door and left him alone. It was a cold room with no other furniture than two deal chairs and a table of great of some material, a home for a fire, unguarded by any fender with burning in the grate, which brought out the damp. It served no more comfortable purpose, for the whole unwholesome moisture was stealing down the walls a long salt slug like tracks. The window, which was broken and patched in many places, looked into a small, small enclosed piece of ground. I was covered with water, not a sound that was to be heard, whether in the house or about, and the young surgeon sat down by the flyby's to await the result of his first professional visit, and that he had not remained in possession very many minutes, when the noise of some approaching vehicle struck his ear. He stopped, the street door was opened, a low talking succeeded, and occupied with a shuffling noise of footsteps. Along the passage was passage, and on the stairs, there two or three men were engaged in carrying some heavily body up to the room above. Creaking the stairs a few seconds afterwards, and that's the newcomers, having completed their task, wherever it was, were leaving the house. The door was then again closed, a form of silence was restored. Another five minutes had elapsed, and the surgeon resolved to explore the house in search of someone whom he might make his errand known. When his room door opened, his last night visitor dressed in exactly the same manner, with a veil lowered as before, mounted him to advance, the single height of her form, cobbled where the sentences are not speaking. 
caused the idea that passed across his brain for an instant that he might be a man disguised in a woman's attire. Hysteric stops which issued from beneath the whale and convulsive attitude of grief. The whole figure, it's, however, is once exposed to the absurdity of the suspicion. He hastily followed. The woman led the way upstairs and up front to the front room and paused at the door. A door to her let him enter first. It was scarcely furnished with an old ideal deal box, a few chairs and a tent bedspread, without hanging of cross rails which covered a patchwork counterplane. The dim light emitted through the curtain which he had noticed from the outside when the objects in the room so distinctive and communicated to all of them to infume so uniform in a hue, he did not at first perceive the object whose eyes at once rested when the woman rushed frankly past him and flung herself on her knees by the bedside, stretched upon the bed, closely enveloped in a linen wrapper, and covered with blankets lay a human form, stiff and motionless. The head and face which were those of men were uncovered, stayed by a badge bandage which passed over the bed and under the chin the eyes were closed a left arm lay heavily across the bed a woman held a passive hand a gentleman surgeon gently pushed the woman aside took the hand in his oh my god exclaimed letting her fall involuntary the man is dead the woman stirred darted to her feet and beat her hands together oh didn't didn't say so, sir, she exclaimed with a burst of passion, concounting almost as a frenzy. Oh, don't say so, sir, I can't bury it. Men are brought to life before you, when unskilled people give them up for lost. Men have died who might not have been restored if proper means have been resorted to. But don't let him lie there, sir, without one effort to save him. This very moment life may be passing away. Do try, sir. For heaven's sake, and while speaking, a hurried shift first before him, then abreast of the sameness form before her, and then wildly beat the cold hands. When she ceased to hold him, fell slipsively and heavy back on the coverlet. It is, it is of no use, my good woman," said Sutton, swiftly, as if in his arm hands from the woman's breast. Stay within the that curtain. Why, said the woman, starting up. Undraw the curtain, repeated Sergeant as actually told. I brightened, I darkened the room on purpose, said the woman, throwing herself up before him as he rose to undraw it. Oh, sir, please. Oh, oh, sir, have pity on him, sir. If we can be no use, he's already, he's already dead. Do not suppose a form to other eyes are mine. This man's dead. Died of no natural or early death, the surgeon. I must see the body. One of those was so sudden, the woman hardly knew that he had slipped from behind her till he tore open the curtain, emitted the full light of day, and returned to the bedroom side. There was no been no violence here, he said, pointing towards the body and gazing eventually at the face which the black fell and now the first time removed. In the excitement of the minute before, the female thrown off the boat gate and 
veil, and was now stood with her eyes fixed upon him. Her features were those of a woman about fifty, who once had been handsome, sorrow and weeping, left traces upon them which not time itself would have produced without their aid. Her face was deadly pale, there was a nervous contortion to the lip, and an unnatural eye, fire in her eye, which showed too plainly that her boldly and mental powers had nearly sunk beneath an accumulation of misery. There had been violence here, said a surgeon, preserving his searching glance. There was, replied the woman. This man would have been murdered. That I call God to witness he was. The woman passionately, pitilessly, inhumanly murdered. By whom, said the surgeon, seizing the one by the arm. Look at the butcher's mark, and then ask me, he replied. The surgeon turned his face towards the bed and bent over the body, which was now lay full light in the window. The throat was swollen, livid marks and circled it, and truth flashed upon him. This is one of the men who were hanged this morning, he exclaimed, turning away from his shoulder. It is, replied the woman, the cold Armenian upstairs. Who was he? Rejoined, cried the surgeon. My son, rejoined the one, felt senseless as feet. It's true. A companion, generally guilty with himself, had been acquitted for want of its evidence, and his man had been left for dead and executed. To account the circumstances of the case, this distant period must be unnecessary and might give pain to another person still alive. Her history is an unavoidable day one. Her mother was a widow without friends or woman or money and had denied herself necessaries to bestow them on her orphan boy. The boy, hope unhelpful of her prayers and forgetful of his sufferings, she endured for him in the crescent anxiety of mind, voluntary salvation of body, have plundered in the decree of desperation and crime. And for this result, his own death by hanging noose, his mother's shame and incurable insanity. For many years after this occurrence, in when profitable and arduous led many men to forget that such a miserable being existed. Another surgeon was, be, was a daily visit beside the harmless old mad old woman, mad woman, not only shooting her by appearance, moving her by appearance, and kindness, but plainly evaluating the rigour of her condition by procuring donations for her comfort and support bestowed from no, with no bearing hand in the transcendent lean where recollection consciousness preceded her death. A prayer for his welfare and protection, a fever of mortal ever breathed, grows from the lips of these poor fearless, friendless creatures. This poor, friendless creature. A prayer flew to the gate heaven, and the matter was heard, and the blessings he was instrumental in conferring had been paid to him thousandfold. But amid all the honours and ranks and station which have since been heaped upon him, there is such a, a no well end have no emphasis before gratifying his heart than that than that connected with the black veil.